Attention crew, this is your Captain Caliban speaking. This is a spooky mental episode of Enterprising Individuals, where we bring you news and tidbits from the world of Trek, also interviews with special guests, and a few little surprises along the way. Oh, I had, had you there. Halloween is upon us. I hope you're enjoying the spooky season and maybe dressing up in something Star Trek themed for Halloween. Post your costume pics on our Facebook group, Enterprising Interlocutions, if you are, and show us what you've got. We've been looking at scary things in the world of Trek this month from an examination of literal acts of terror with our episode on Homefront and Paradise Lost to a more traditional monster mash with last week's show on Wolf in the Fold. Just as a reminder, we dropped a special episode uh, last Saturday that recapped the scarily amazing good time our reporter Ella Pearson had covering the Destination Star Trek convention in Birmingham this fall. If you want to hear about Trek stars from every series, the DS9 documentary premiere, interviews with Andrew Robinson and Max Gradenchik and Will and Rick from the 10 Backward podcast and the fateful encounter between William Shatner and Jason Isaacs at the con. That episode is still available in our show feed, so get to it. This week, though, I know you've got cobwebs to hang and candy to give out, so we've got a shorter show this week, focusing mainly on some of my favorite scary creatures from Trek history. Finding honest-to-goodness, or, I guess, badness, monsters in Trek is tougher than you'd think, since the high-minded ideals of the Federation means that any scary beast we encounter is probably a potential friend we just don't understand yet, a la the Horta, or Joe Piscopo. The creatures on my list, however, are intractably bad, unredeemable predators who only deserve destruction, like Red Jack or Joe Piscopo. It's a motley collection of ne'er-do-wells, and each one, incidentally, would make a pretty neat Halloween costume, and I'll be giving you some tips on how to do just that. So get your candy bags ready, and your soap, eggs, and TP, of course, and let's get underway. I tried to stay away from the obvious choices for this list, so you won't be hearing about any Borg or uh, Species 8472 costumes. Actually, matter of fact, fun fact, my roomie in college wanted some help with his Borg costume for a Star Trek party we were going to, um, after we bought a a case of condoms, of course, at the drugstore. And here's what we did, and you can do it too. First, dress up like Dieter from Sprockets. And if you don't know what that is, you didn't go to college when I did. Paint all your visible skin gray or white. That's easy. Use some, uh, you know, grease paint, some clown makeup from the makeup store. Cyborg eye, not so easy. Get yourself a square of colored transparent plastic. Where from? I don't know. My roommate used to carry one around so he could do the we die guy from the last Starfighter. And if you don't know what that is, see above. Use black gaff tape. That's like the the cloth tape that you have to rip off and tape the plastic over one eye and go big. Do it like half of your face. You know, this is your ocular implant, after all. Use a lot. The chunkier, the better. Don't use electrician's tape. That's the stretchy kind. It's oily. Your skin is oily. Ours was. And it'll stick for like two minutes. So that's no good. Procure black or maybe silver rubber tubing. You can get it from a medical supply store. Uh, You'll have some questions to answer, probably. And you'll have to spray it black. You know what? Black aquarium tubing is good. Uh, It's not good for your fish if you don't put it right back on November 1st, though. Gray poster putty 
is the next step. Can you tell this was all sourced from a dorm room? You're going to need some random tubes coming out of different places. You're a Borg, right? And then they go into other places on your body. So you form a piece of putty at one end of the tube, shaped like it's, you know, it's like your gray skin around it. And the end is flat on the end. Then using spirit gum, which I had because I was an actor, but super glue is an option for the brave. Stick the tube to your face, neck or wherever this very important Borg tube is coming from. And then you do the same somewhere else on your body. Or maybe just, you know, tuck the other end into a pocket or, or something. Finally, the piece de resistance, the Borg prosthesis. Um, I can't remember if there was a rule that you couldn't spend more than 20 bucks for the costume contest at this party. In any case, we didn't have 20 bucks between us, so here's what we did. Take a coffee can, not the... Folgers plastic, you know, snap-on ones that they have now. You need a classic tin can that you have to use a can opener on. Cover it in the black tape from before. Then take the can opener you used to get it open and tape that halfway to the closed end of the can on the side there. Follow with a whisk, maybe put a wooden spoon on the side. Whatever you've got in the kitchen utility drawer, that's not a knife. Don't do that. No knives. Spatula. Spatula's a keeper. Once your can is festooned with your Borg manipulation devices, put the can over your hand. You should be able to keep it on by making a fist, but if your hand is too small, you can drill or knock a hole on either side of the can and slide a carriage bolt or a pencil or something straight through there that you can hold on to. Or you can make a hole in the closed end of the can and put a nut and bolt through there that you can hang on to as well. Or if you don't have any tools, you can line the inside of the closed end of the can with a leftover putty to give it some traction. And voila! You're ready to go to a party dressed as a DIY Borg and win a gift certificate for best costume, even though your friend did the whole thing and spent twice as much time on his awesome Dixon Hill costume. <clears throat> anyway, here are my top five scary Star Trek monsters. And they have to they had to be scary for this list. Satan's robot would have been number one with a bullet on this list if they could be hilarious monsters. But these are scary monsters only. Uh, the bluegills from Conspiracy didn't make it. Because they're, you know, they're just kind of gross, and they're really bad at planning takeovers of the Federation. Uh, Kukulkan from How Sharper Than a Serpent's Tooth almost made this list, too. I mean, he's a giant winged snake, which might be a god. That's kind of scary, but he gets taken down by a Capellan power cat, so how tough can he be? Okay, in no real order of importance. Number five, the M113 creature, a.k.a. the Salt Vampire, Star Trek's first monster. Uh, not counting the pig soldiers and the San Francisco chicken or, or whatever else was in the Talosian's menagerie. I mean, Nancy Crater, her name's Crater, omen much? Making an alien creature a vampire type, that's a classic move. But we're still left with a lot of questions about this creature. I mean, it can look like anyone. It can carry on conversations. There's presumably some telepathic aspect to it because it, it looks like what it knows you want to see. Um, it's hungry, but it understands limits, unlike my cat. It's been living in this arrangement with Professor Crater for a while, so they had to cut that deal at some point. But of course, it kills him as soon as it has a whole ship to eat. And then at the end of the episode, it tries to manipulate McCoy again as Nancy Crater, which seems smart. But once the jig's up, it just attacks Kirk and then McCoy shoots it. Like, can it not reason or communicate? Does it have any intelligence in its suckery form? Is it technically intelligent or is it just like an animal maybe maybe when it becomes human-like it does gain human-like reasoning faculties but it hates having them 
like ravenously sucking salt is its preferred state. You know, it doesn't want to do taxes or think about morality. So it's not going to bother much with asking for mercy or trying to get a deal. Anyway, it's a it's a scary design and the creature is great. Um, it clearly costs nothing, but that's fine. That's easy for you. It still looks gross and cool. So how can you do it at home? The head, that's the toughest part. You might want to just go for a mask on this one. You might be able to find an actual salt creature mask, but it's easy to snag an alien mask from Amazon or a Halloween store. And you can glue uh, around Tupperware bowl or something of that nature uh, on the front mouth and you can paint in the lamprey-like teeth and bam, start sucking. Uh, paper mache is another way to go if you're brave and skilled. That's what Wa Chang probably did back in the day for the show, after all. For the rest, send a white fright wig through the wash a few times, turn a shaggy bath mat into a poncho, and get $10 worth of cargo netting from Amazon or Home Depot and wrap yourself in it a few times. Then you can cut and fray it in a few places for texture and head to the party. Bring a salt shaker, too, I guess, to help people out. Number four, lore. What? Data's brother? A monster? Yeah, dude. If Data is Pinocchio, Lore is Frankenstein's monster. He's fearfully and wonderfully made, and he hates his dad and everyone else. If they'd gone one more season on TNG, we would have had a, a bride of Lore. I believe that in my soul. Data class plays are a dime a dozen, so you don't need my help with that. But you've got to decide what Lore you want to be. You can go Turtleneck Lore from Brothers, or Worker Jumpsuit Lore from Data Lore, but... My money is on Batman Abs lore from Descent. You can get a set of motocross armor for pretty cheap on Amazon. This is the stuff that you see, you know, in your favorite low-budget sci-fi show when the commandos show up in Dark Matter or whatever, and they're always in this, like, strappy, contoured armor. That stuff's like 20 bucks on Amazon. That's why they're using it on those shows. Get some of that. Pull on that black turtleneck from your Borg Dieter cosplay, affix your smirk, and apply your Brill Cream, and you're ready to take over the Alpha Quadrant. Just protect your off switch. Number three, and stick with me on this one, Anaya from the Muse. Now, I don't like that episode either, but the idea of a creativity vampire that can inspire you but kills you in the process is a pretty conflicting idea for an artist. We never find out more about her species, but I feel like the implications are horrifying. They can fly through space, uh, presumably at warp. They can look like anyone. Wait a minute, this is just the salt vampire. Somebody went, what if we did creativity? Uh, not salt. Pepper? Not pepper. Uh, creativity. There we go. Uh, anyway, they can look like anyone. Uh, they feed off creativity or the brainwaves of creative persons. Who knows how many of these things are out there or how long they've been around or who they've influenced? Einstein, Zephram Cochran, Surak, Joe Piscopo? Forget the bluegills. This is the big dropped plot line in the Star Trek universe as far as I'm concerned. This costume isn't too tough if you're a woman. I mean, if you want to go as a male member of their race or you know, one of their race looking like a male, go for it. Um, I suggest Killian Murphy as a starting point. I think he's a good male analog to Meg Foster. I don't know, Google Google, Google image them. Come to think of it, um, do they even look like they do in the episode, these creatures? They're energy beings, so... Okay, look, it's not a great episode. Look, here's what you need. You need a half wig, a wig that starts not at your hairline, but at the top of your head, like the crown of your head. They exist... But the thing about wigs is the more special they get, even if there's less of them, the more expensive they tend to get. So you're probably better off just buying a cheap one and you can just cut it right down. Just cut right through the net on top. Done. 
Uh, you also need a bald cap. They sell those at party stores everywhere. You put the bald cap on first, then the wig. And, you know, you might want to go easy on yourself in this one. You can just take a Sharpie or, a, you know, a colored marker, maybe use brown, and just lightly draw on the contours of her face ridges. She's got these kind of abortive, not really Klingon, almost Cardassian-esque, you know, like pronounced brow ridges. Uh, and you can just do that with a marker. Uh, but if you feel up to it, you can use modeling putty to give your extra forehead texture. And you need those Meg Foster eyes which is probably going to be the toughest and most expensive part. If your eyes are already blue, you're halfway there, but you can get colored novelty contacts online. They'll probably set you back about 20 to 30 bucks or so. Then all you need is a dark colored dress with a lot of see-through lace on the top. Maybe get a gold lame wrap or something, and you're ready to slink around the party, being solicitous and making lots of, I eat brains, but looks like somebody beat me to this one jokes, which is what I would do anyway. Number two. No. Oh the worst. Why isn't this number one? <sighs> the neural parasites from Operation Annihilate. <sighs> I'm not a creepy crawly guy. Like spiders, bugs, whatever. They don't bother me. But a wiggly pancake that looks like it's made of last night's egg foo young flying in from off camera and sticking to you? No, no thank you. This one's a little more difficult, especially if you want to go as a man-sized king of the parasites. I don't recommend going as a human-sized neural parasite because we'll have to nuke the site for more, but it's the only way to be sure. I think the best way to start is to start as a red shirt. Go as a regular red shirt and then apply two or three of these buggers, and then you can play the walking, disgusting wounded. Uh, put one on your back, put one on your shoulder, you get it. To make them, this is actually doable. Go online, look up FX Gelatin Cubes. Uh, you can get them, yeah, makeup stores. Uh, you might be able to get them on Amazon or magic supply stores. What you do is you can melt them down and add food coloring, and you paint them a little. Uh, you can stick some marbles in them for texture. Uh, you could also use li liquid latex instead, uh, which is easier to get and to work with, but they won't be as translucent as gelatin. Gelatin's really the one to go with here. There's videos online you could find to give you tips for working with the gelatin. So cook them up, stick them on, and stay the hell away from me. And number one. Melvin Belly. Well, technically Gorgon, or the friendly angel from And the Children Shall Lead. But Melvin Belly was an, was an interesting guy. He was a lawyer in California. Uh, he had a lot of celebrity clients. He was kind of an ambulance chaser. Or I guess a nicer way to say that is that he, he went after corporations for safety violations and unsafe conditions. He represented Jack Ruby in his murder trial, which didn't go well. But it's hard to get a guy off that killed somebody on TV. Uh, you might remember him from the movie Zodiac, where he is played by Brian Cox. This happened in real life. Somebody claiming to be the Zodiac killer said that he'd call into a morning talk show, but only if Belly or uh, celebrity lawyer F. Murray Abraham was there to take the call. Uh, spoilers, we never caught the Zodiac, so yeah, that didn't work out. Uh, he also led a class action lawsuit against Dow Corning over breast implant problems, and he won. But when Dow Corning declared bankruptcy and couldn't pay... Belly went bankrupt as well. Uh, and he produced a movie or two after that, and he appeared a few times as an actor. He got the job as Gorgon because his son, Caesar was cast as one of the children in the episode, and Fred Freiberger thought that Belly would boost the show's ratings. And that didn't happen either. So, this costume may be the toughest one of all, mainly because it's going to be hard to replicate the green glow after effect that they put over Belly to mask his terrible acting. You might want to try to carry around a flashlight with a green gel or filter in it that you can point at yourself. That'll get the effect across. 
You're going to need the longest gray wig, like, you know, a man's wig if you can, but you can get a woman's one and cut it down. You want to get that kind of bushy, early 70s look. And you get a giant silver pool cover. <laughs> but seriously, uh, if you have like a tacky shower curtain, like a, like a really old one with a paisley or a flower pattern, that, that'll probably do. You can use silver spray paint on it, not to cover it completely and solidly, but if you do it from far away, you can kind of get texture, texturize it. You just want something non-uniform and ugly. And the pool cover has a collar, like a Ruth Bader Ginsburg type thing at the neck, which you can make with... I don't know what, whatever you just use some other use a doily or something. I guarantee you're spending more than Fred Freiberger did on this. Uh, for the face, dunk your head in a pan of cold lasagna, or you can bring back some of that liquid latex and go nuts. Mess up your hair, never stop screaming "death to you all," and you're all set. Also, you need some crying children to make the costume complete, but with the way you're gonna look, that's not gonna be a problem. Remember, if you try any of these tips, or if you've already got your own great idea for a Trek costume, tweet your pics to at EISTPod on Twitter or at EISTPod on Facebook, or post them on our Facebook discussion group, Enterprising Interlocutions. Can't wait to see what you've got. A lot of the items I mentioned can be acquired quickly and then painlessly on the great digital replicator, as Manu Sadia put it, on Amazon. And you can get to Amazon by clicking on our Amazon links or by clicking through the Amazon banner on enterprisingindividuals.com. When you do that and make a purchase on Amazon, a percentage of your transaction comes back to us at no extra cost to you and helps keep us in mini Three Musketeers. And this counts for anything, not just for Star Trek or Halloween stuff. You can actually bookmark the banner, and when you click through to Amazon that way, whatever day it is, whatever you buy, the same deal applies. And maybe you're saying, nice work, nice work, genius. It's 3.45 on Halloween day. It's a little late for Amazon shopping. To which I would say, isn't Halloween a contraction of all Hallow's Eve? So this is like Eve day? Like when there's a Christmas party? And it's on Christmas Eve, but it's at like 3 p.m. So you say like it's like Christmas Eve day and you feel like an idiot. Well, whatever. I guess I'd also say, you know, I don't think I've ever dressed up as a Star Trek anything for Halloween, except for that awesome, unappreciated Dixon Hill costume, which is basically what I just wear to swing nights. The 90s were a weird time. Like, I want to wear a shirt that I have to pull down constantly. I want to have pips, but I've never felt like I could afford to. But if you like what you hear on Enterprising Individuals and you want to support the show and maybe help me afford my dream of a conservatively priced Starfleet uniform, why not head to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash EISTpod. It's there that you can sign up to be a crew member for the show for a small monthly donation and you get access to our exclusive subscriber content like our live shows, my DS9 rewatch recaps, our episode commentaries, their show merchandise and more. Just head to patreon.com forward slash EISTpod. Treat yourself. Become a member of the crew today. Anyone can join our crew. It's no trick at patreon.com forward slash EISTpod. As always, anything you can contribute to the show will be appreciated and will help keep us flying through the night sky. Thanks. Our top comment on social media this week comes from an acquaintance of Ella's, George Fernley, who's at at FudgeFingers1 on Twitter. Oh, Ella, we have got to get you a stun gun. Anyway, in response to my posting a link of our coverage of Destination Star Trek and me mentioning Ella's involvement, Fudge Fingers <sighs> tweeted, quote, I met at Gondor Gold, that's Ella, at hashtag DST, and she was brilliant to talk to. Thumbs up emoji, end quote. That I can believe. Longtime listeners to the show will know that she's great to talk to, and her interview subjects Andrew Robinson and Max Grudenchik would absolutely agree. 
So thanks for your comment, Fudge Fingers One. You win a lifetime supply of lemon-soaked paper napkins for your fingers. Remember, listeners, you can tweet to us or message the show and maybe have your comment read on the air. Just go to facebook.com forward slash EISDpod or find us at at EISDpod on Twitter or through our social media links on enterprisingindividuals.com. You can also reach the show at EISTPOD at gmail.com with feedback and suggestions or to just say hello. We're waiting to receive your transmission. And that's it for this spooky mental episode of Enterprising Individuals. If you're an Apple Podcast listener and you haven't yet, why not look us up on Apple Podcasts and make sure you're subscribed to the show. Also, write a little review if the spirit moves you and give us a rating at the very least. We'd appreciate it. You will appreciate, too, winning our contest, which ends today. October 31st, Halloween. If you leave a review before the end of this month and let us know, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, send me an email at eisdpod at gmail.com. Your name goes in a drawing for our special edition 50th anniversary Star Trek Trivia Pursuit card set. You've got only 36 hours left as I'm recording this, even less when you hear it. So give us a review and win some cards today. If you're not an Apple Podcast listener, you can still subscribe to the show on Google Play or Stitcher or wherever you get our show from. And if you leave positive comments and ratings and reviews on those platforms as well, not only would we be eternally grateful, but you are still entered to win the contest. Next week on Enterprising Individuals. He's your favorite Vulcan. He's the galaxy's best first officer. He's good with whales. But what don't we know about Mr. Spock? How could one man be so reliable, so capable, so knowledgeable, and yet know nothing of love. Is his control of his emotions his superpower or a fatal flaw that's held him back as a person? Guest emeritus Dave Rossi is back once again on next week's show to talk about an episode of the original series that features Spock's ex, face-spraying flowers, and a mint julep or two. It's This Side of Paradise, next time on Enterprising Individuals. And until then, I'm your captain, Caliban, signing off and saying, Live long and prosper! Yeah.